we're in a uh, sermon series on, uh, well, I'll put it simply, how to get what you want from God, how to pray to God and, and to uh, get Him to uh, give you uh, good things, how to get God to help you when you need help. Does anybody feel like they need help from God? Fantastic, because um, you sure look like it, let me tell you. Um, and so, you know, it's just a very simple interaction. I'm trying to fix this. Hold on. I'm a little boomy, yeah? Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, the question is, if you believe you'll get it when you pray, will you get it? Go. So what do you think? We'll take that as a warm-up question. If you pray to God for something, and you're like, yeah, I'm really, really believing that I'm going to get this. I totally believe that I'm going to get what I pray for. Will you for sure get it? How many people say yes? How many people say no? How many people say I object to the question? Uh, Jesus says in Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours, period. How many people believe that when you ask for something in prayer and you really believe you'll get it, that you'll get it? Raise your hand. How many people think that when you ask for something in prayer and you really believe you get it, you won't necessarily get it? How many people still object to the question? What do you make of this verse and verses like it? Uh, whatever you ask for in prayer, well, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Who said that? Re sound authority? Questionable authority? What was he saying there? I mean, it's a really challenging question. What makes it a challenging question? Well, what makes it a challenging question is that we know full well that we've prayed for things and not gotten them, right? That, that's what's hard. And uh, we have worked really hard to be people of faith, some of us, and still haven't gotten everything that we've asked for. Has anybody ever gotten anything that you, everything that you've asked for? Because uh, if so, you're like my new best friend. Anyone? Right, so life experience complicates the question. And this is, this is the sort of issue that we're wrestling with in this sermon series on, well, how to get the help that you want from God. Uh, because on the one hand, the Bible makes it sound like it should really, really be simple. You know, God is generous. If you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. You have not because you ask not. Believe that you receive it and it shall be yours. There's all of these statements in Scripture that make it seem like getting what you want from God, you know, you know provided that you're not asking for a fleet of Lamborghinis or something, getting, getting what, you know, you feel like you really need from the Lord, from your Father, should be really, really easy uh, but on the other hand, there are, you know, scriptures and experiences that suggest to us that maybe it's just slightly more complicated than that. Like, you have not because you ask with the wrong motives, James said last week. Um, or, you know, well, maybe, maybe your belief, maybe your faith is compromised, which is the implication of this verse this week. In work, week one of this sermon series, uh, we examine uh, Jesus' uh, teaching about the persistent widow, uh, that you should, when you pray to God for things, when you pray to God for good outcomes, when you pray to God for justice, that it's really important not to give up. We studied perseverance, uh, in other words, because answers to your prayers will vary in nature and timeline, right? Sometimes God will say yes. Sometimes God will say yes, but God's never going to say, no, don't talk to me. I hate you. Sometimes when you ask for bread, God might give you pizza instead, which is not a direct yes, but it's pretty good. You know, there can be, there can be shades of difference. And delivery times may vary, right? You may get what you ask for right away, or it may take a long time, which is what the parable of the persistent widow was about. You don't want to get hung up a lot on unresolved prayers, prayers that seem to have not gotten an answer, because if you get hung up on your unresolved prayers, it will really make it hard for you to get breakthrough and other prayers that you have in life. And we all have multiple prayers in life. Sometimes God will deliver immediately, sometimes not so much. So you need perseverance just to stay in the game. I had unresolved uh, 
unanswered prayers in my life that have exceeded 40 years in time. And during those 40 years, you know, I got like miraculous healings and like literal miracles and stuff like that. If I let the unanswered prayers take me out of the game, I don't see all the other good things along the way, right? That's the nature of life with God. You have to have the strength of perseverance to hang in there. That was week one. In week two, the tagline was, let every request to God be a conversation. Don't just say, hey God, give me this. Turn it into a conversation. Hey, I could really use this. What do you think? What's going on with me? You know, let the Lord speak into your, your prayer request. God might want to edit your request a little bit. Like you asked for bread, he wants to give you pizza. That's okay in my book. Uh, and maybe you want to have a conversation about that. Or you might want to take the occasion of a request for some personal examination to make sure you're asking for the right stuff uh, in, in the right way. And you want to be wary of asking God in a way that doubts God or accuses God or complains to God. Like, hey, how about this thing that I need that you should have delivered already? Why is my life so hard? How about you give me a break? Well, when you pray in that kind of tone, it makes it really hard for God just to sort of deliver things to you um, simply. He needs to do a little discipleship first because he doesn't want you to think that he responds to complaint and accusation, does he? So let your request be a conversation, and if it's an open, faith-filled, love-filled conversation, they usually go really well. Today, we're going to talk about being the sort of person who gets breakthroughs, right? So it has less to do with the methodology that you use or the nature of the conversation that you have with God and more about the sort of person that you are. And before your mind runs away uh, on that, the sort of person that you should be is, is a believer. Um, you should be a believer. And that makes your prayer life a lot easier. Uh, it makes life generally a whole lot easier. So let's read our scripture today. It comes from Mark chapter 11, 12 through 25. And this is an interesting passage. There's a lot going on in this passage and uh, a whole bunch of different application points that we could take away from it. What I want to use the passage for today is an examination of prayer, of getting the help that we need uh, from God. Um, there are other things going on, but let's read it with that in mind. Um, it's kind of a um, well-preached story. Uh, perhaps you've heard it before. It's the story about Jesus cursing the fig tree on the way to Jerusalem. Do you know this story? Jesus curses a fig tree, and a day later, the fig tree has withered down to nothing. So that's the miracle of the story. And there are reasons that Jesus does that. We'll briefly touch upon those reasons. But at the end of this passage, Jesus talks about prayer. You know, as if the whole thing has to do with getting help from God. So be patient as we read through it. And uh, here's the background. Jesus uh, has been ministering uh, for, for some years uh, around Israel. And he is now approaching Jerusalem for the last time. We know what happens there, right? He eventually uh, gets killed um, and rises from the dead. But the, the whole story is kind of reaching its epic conclusion. And Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem and visited the temple the evening before. So we know that Jesus toured what was going on in the temple. And he wakes up the next morning and decides to head back to the temple. Uh, a little preview, the evening before, he saw stuff in the temple that really made him angry. He's, he wakes up angry. He's in a bad mood. He's toured the temple, and something has set him off. We don't know what yet, but that's how the story begins. So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, which is sort of a suburb of Jerusalem, he, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. So it's out of season. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So right off the top, Jesus 
mean to fig trees. Right? I mean, how fair is this? Because it's not the season, right? Presumably in the harvest season, this tree produced some figs. But now it's the off season, and it's leafy. It's gathering up nutrients to produce some fruit later. And in the off season, Jesus goes to the tree, no fruit. And he's like, tree, shame on you. No one will ever eat fruit from you again. He just he curses uh, the fig tree. Jesus, not nice to plants. Obviously, there's something going on here, but I just wanted to illustrate the, this little irony. <clears throat> on reaching Jerusalem, so they, they leave Bethany, they pass the fig tree. Jesus is extra grumpy because he has no food, and he reaches Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple courts, or the lanai of the temple, and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Ah, okay, now we have a clue as to what had gotten Jesus so ticked off the night before. Uh, he drives out those who are buying and selling in the Lanai area of the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves for sacrifice and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what's going on here, if you're not familiar with temple architecture, is that there was sort of this, this court area, this lanai area, right outside the inner uh, area of the temple, that uh, in the original designs God had given uh, the people of Israel were designated as a uh, a visitor space. So people who, uh, who were Jewish, who worshiped the one true God, were allowed to go into the interior temple and make their sacrifices. But there was actually this courtyard, this big courtyard in the temple that was designated as the Gentiles' court, or the foreigners' court, or the non-believers' court. And this is the place in the temple complex where non-believers who were checking God out Right, who were seeking after the true God could go and have a sort of temple experience. So it, I call it the seeker's court, right? It was the place where newbies, where newcomers could come and kind of get the experience, maybe be drawn in to the faith of the one true God. You understand? So this was the open door. This was the outreach area of the temple. But instead of using it for outreach, the temple officials, the guys who are running the temple, used it as sort of a service area for uh, Jewish worshipers to make their offerings a little easier. They, you know, sold them doves for sacrifice and stuff like that because a lot of these Jewish pilgrims would have traveled for many, many miles. It was hard for them to carry doves or sheep or other items for sacrifice or the appropriate temple coins and stuff like that. So it had become sort of a... Um, sort of an, uh, an airport lobby area where, you know, you got to buy all the things that you forgot for your flight, that sort of thing, right? But it was all for locals and not for seekers. It was all for Jewish people. And so you understand why Jesus is upset about here. This was a place where seekers were supposed to be able to come and to pray and to see if they could get God to answer them, right? It was a seeker's prayer room and instead they turned it into a believer's convenience room. All right, that's, that's the conundrum here. All right. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, heard what Jesus was doing, and began looking for a way to kill him. Interesting response. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They had the audacity to start believing in Jesus. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Okay, heck of a day. In the morning, the next morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Okay, you freak out because one, um, Jesus curses the tree and it dies. That's impressive, but maybe you should also know that the fig tree is like the national symbol for the nation of Israel. So in the span of 24 hours and less, the disciples have seen Jesus ransack the temple, the holiest place in Israel, and then curse the national symbol of Israel, and it miraculously dies. 
So they're feeling a little bit queasy about the state of their nation and, and their community, right? So Peter is just like, oh my gosh, right? You dissed this fig tree and now it has died. Here comes the teaching. That's the backdrop. Here comes the teaching. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins and presumably make your prayers go better because there's nothing getting in the way. So it all ends with a teaching on prayer, which I kind of find fascinating. It's like Jesus has, has displayed a national crisis and just sort of, uh, in a way, attacked the leading symbols of the Jewish faith community but he ends it by turning his to his disciples and giving them a little teaching on faith in prayer or how to get, how to have successful prayer. Um, so you could teach on this whole passage and say, well, Jesus hates barriers to seekers. It should be really easy to find God. It should be really easy to find Jesus. It might be hard to follow Jesus, but it should be really easy for everyone to find Jesus. That is a principle in the kingdom of God and should always have priority uh, on that in our lives. The disciples are understandably freaked out about Jesus supernaturally destroying uh, the tree, which is their symbol. It's like, you know, Jesus, you know, killing a bald eagle as it flew over the stadium before the football game, you know. It's like, it's like, oh, that's an American. Um, it's sort of that, that sort of thing. Uh, and Jesus curses this fig tree because it's not fruitful. Uh, you know, in the fig tree's defense, uh, it was the off season. It was not the season to produce a crop. But it's as if Jesus is saying, no, no, there is no off season when it comes to reaching seekers. There is no off season, right? When somebody shows up to you and wants to taste the fruit of the kingdom, you better have the fruit of the kingdom. Otherwise, what, what are you doing here? You know, it's a strong, sobering teaching. Do you have a seeker's court in your life? Or is your life so busy with business and whatever else is going on that nobody can get access to you? For things of the kingdom, right? If, if that's your place, then, you know, woe to you, Jesus is saying. It's like, you know, your roots might as well be dead. There is no channel for life in you. And you may be like, oh, look at my glossy leaves, but that's not how Jesus sees it, right? So that's, that's a sermon that comes out of this passage, and that's a sermon that I have, I have preached uh, on occasion. Uh, but today we're looking at the prayer bit. All of that goes down. That lesson is absorbed. And then Jesus, you know, sort of sums it up by talking about prayer. Um, <clears throat> have faith in God, Jesus answered. They're freaking out. Oh, my gosh. Are you saying you curse our nation? Are you saying things are hopeless? All right. Step one, guys. Have faith in God. As opposed to what? What would be the opposite of faith in God? Fear. Fear of God. Fear that God's not going to help you in your circumstances. Something like that. You know, some sort of anxiety, stress. Um, yeah, something like that. Have faith in God. Trust God as opposed to not trusting God. All right? I know things look bad and are really scary. This is actually a great time for you to trust in God. It's a great time for you to have that thing called faith. You know, you're freaked out about me ransacking the temple and cursing the fig tree, and you're freaked out about what it all means. Here's my lesson to you. 
you guys have got to be people of faith. Everything else that I saw this weekend in Jerusalem, not faith. What I saw was people going through the motions. What I saw was people who are running a temple, but they weren't really believing in the purpose of the temple. Right? What I saw was people trying to look good and leafy, but not really producing the fruit uh, of the kingdom. Don't be like that. Look, guys, if you're going to believe in these things, believe in these things. It's lesson number one, and that's really, that's really hard to do. And sometimes we need a serious shakeup, which is what Jesus was doing. Do you or do you not? actually believe in the things that you supposedly believe in. That's issue uh, number one. Then he's like, okay, let me illustrate more deeply what I'm talking about. If you have serious belief, then you get serious authority in the world. I mean, seriously, guys. If you have faith, you can move a mountain, right, which is such a commonly repeated Jesus teaching, it's almost a cultural trope. Faith can move mountains. Yeah, but do you believe that, Jesus is saying? Do you, do you actually believe it? If you, if you believe in the things of God, if you believe about God what you supposedly believe about God, the nature itself will respect you. Just ask this fig tree. Nature itself will respond to that kind of belief, that kind of, of faith. Nature itself honors faith. And the third thing he says is, all right, you know, right about now, guys, you might be thinking that you really need God's help because it's been a scary weekend. Um, so let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about how to get help from God. And then he says this, you know, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. I mean, seriously believe. Don't just go through the motions, but I mean, actually believe that you have received it and, uh, and it, it will be yours. Um, <clears throat> whoever, uh, referring to the mountain, whoever, throw yourself. <clears throat> if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So, you know, don't, don't pray in a way that you doubt it's actually going to do any good. That ruins it. That ruins it. Instead, expect that it will do uh, good. You got to believe that prayer works because you believe that the God behind your prayer uh, works as advertised, that he's actually who he says he is. Uh, we've shared this truism, this little proverb about blue water a lot, and I think it's true. I say it to myself all the time. Do you guys pray as much as you should? Why not? And the, and the reason everybody says this, well, it's because you're too busy. That's a lie. We don't fail to pray because we're busy. We fail to pray because we don't think it works. If you are desperately busy in your life and you actually thought prayer works, then your busyness would totally drive you to prayer, right? But instead, a lie creeps in. It's like, I'm really, really busy. Prayer doesn't really work. Or maybe there's some compromised lie. You tell yourself, well, in order to make prayer work, I need to, you know, fast for 40 days and, you know, live this sort of extreme life that I don't have time for. And, you know, therefore, it's not going to work for me right? We have all of these ways to sort of cheat out of it. But the reason we don't pray is because we just don't believe prayer is going to work for us. And we don't have time to do stuff that doesn't work. So we let it slide. Oh, we still believe in God. I mean, we're still Christians. It's just that we don't believe it works. And that's the tension that a lot of us slide into. Yeah? And I, I do it all the time, which is why I quote that little truism to myself. Like, the reason I don't pray is because I don't think prayer works. Do I think it works or not, right? Do I doubt it? Do I have a negative expectation? Or do I believe it? Do I have positive uh, expectation? So he's cautioning them against that. And then, at the end of it, it's like, all right, you got to have faith. 
you know, with faith, you can even command nature, it seems. Everything in the universe respects faith. And you have to have faith uh, in God when you pray. You can't expect it to not work. You have to expect it to work because that's the nature of belief. And then he says, okay, and when you're doing that, think about forgiveness. Well, that's kind of a curveball because he's talking about faith, faith, faith. And then he goes to this thing about forgiveness. And look, if, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven can forgive you, which is almost a direct quote from the Lord's Prayer teaching, right? It's like, you know, Father, I, I forgive those who have sinned against me so that, you know, you can forgive me. Forgiveness is sort of the grease in the gears of the kingdom of God. Uh, what's the best way to get forgiven for the stuff you do wrong? Well, forgive everyone else for what they do wrong. Getting forgiveness from God, super easy. Forgiving people you ought to forgive, eh, more challenging, more challenging. And we get hung up on that uh, a lot. How does this teaching work in context here with all the faith stuff? I think you know, implicitly one thing Jesus is saying is like, oh, and that forgiveness thing? Believe in it. Believe in the power of forgiveness. Don't flirt around with this, guys. You have to believe it. Look. Everybody's streaming into the temple to bring their doves and their sheep to make sacrifices, to ask God for forgiveness and freedom. All I'm asking you is to forgive people like you seriously believe in the power of forgiveness. And then we don't need this over-engineered religious process. I just need you to believe. The whole point of the temple was to encourage people to believe in the stuff of the temple. Right? So believe in that. Uh, as well. Be serious about that. Uh, that's the link uh, that, that he's talking about. Here's what he's saying overall at the end of this. This crazy weekend and these weird behaviors and, and miracles. Jesus turns to his guys and said, look, look, fellas, what I need from you, I need you to actually believe in this stuff. Believe in it. I need you to actually be believers. Believe in God things. You know, believe that God responds. Believe that, that, that God actually loves everyone. You know, even the non-believers. You got to really believe in that. You got to believe that God is forgiving and that, you know, he wants you to be forgiving. Don't, don't be an amateur. You know, be a pro at this stuff. That's my paraphrase, but you get the point, right? You have to really believe in it. And if you are a believer, my gosh, you're the most powerful creature that, I, that exists in the world. Nature itself responds to you. God responds to you. You know? What more could you want? You get to be a truly creative person. In short, believe, have faith, trust. It's a powerful way to be. What kind of person do you need to get what you want in prayer? Well, you need to be a, a believer. So, so here's the, here's the distinction. Um, <clears throat> Jesus isn't saying that successful prayer happens when you psych yourself into really believing that the prayer is going to work. Jesus is saying that successful prayer happens when you're a believer across the board, when you're just a believing person. You see the difference? Like you can really believe in prayer or believe in a prayer, and that's different than actually being a believer, right? You can go to a hypnotist and hypnotize yourself into believing that this prayer is going to work, right? If you're suggestible. And a lot of people do that when they pray. They try to do self-hypnosis. Oh, this is going to work. This is going to, I believe it. I stand on the prayer, you know, which couldn't be a fine thing to say. But, you know, what you want to do is kind of stand on God in all ways, in everything, soup to nuts. God is good. Love your neighbor. Do the ministry. Be a forgiving person. Get forgiven. The whole thing. Believe in all of that stuff. And then your prayers 
or your miracle working will be just a natural offshoot of what's coming up through your roots. You'll always be able to produce fruit, even when it would take a miracle for you to do so. Are you getting the teaching? Be a believer. Right? That's, that's more than just believing in a prayer. It's more than just trying to put input into a machine. Right? You get it? I think that's the Jesus teaching. Uh, high five somebody if you get it and be like, oh, wow, I actually got that. Yeah, I want to be a believer. Not just a great prayer. I, I want to be... I want to be the big believer, the serious believer. Uh, now, if, if this is true, we don't want to just focus on our prayer requests as if they exist in a vacuum in our lives. We want to focus on our overall faith life, right? On our overall life. We don't, we don't merely want to be a good prayer. We want to be a good believer, right? We want to live out of that stance, uh, and, you know, a good diagnostic for us would be something like, well, in what way is my faith compromised? You know, how am I really believing? How am I uh, doubting? Uh, in what way am I fearless? In what way am I fearful? These are good questions to ask ourselves all the time. They're good discipleship questions. What has made us falter in faith? What has made you falter in faith? What, what's the gut punch that's actually landed and knocked you out of the, of the fight? Uh, and if nothing comes to mind, well, you can go through some of the things that Jesus raises in these prayer teachings. I don't know. You got somebody you need to forgive? You know? Because that's always a hard one, which is why Jesus always brings it up. It's like, I'm a forgiving person, you know, and I would forgive him if he deserved it. You know? It's, I, I, I would forgive her if, you know, if she realized what she did to me. You know? It's like, these things get very complicated for us for, because forgiveness is generally very relational, right? So that's always a great one. Some of us need to forgive God, you know, because he has, quote-unquote, disappointed us in the past, and that really complicates our prayer life going forward. I mean, forgiveness involves a lot of stuff. It's a very emotional arena in our lives, so that's always a good one. Uh, if your faith is compromised, there's a very high chance that it has been compromised in an area of forgiveness, unforgiveness, uh, because we get hung up on that stuff. That becomes very emotional uh, for us. Uh, so that's one. How often should you just forgive people? Always, right? When they deserve it, that wouldn't be forgiveness, would it? That would be compensation. No, you know, 77 times 7, Jesus says, our forgiveness of people should be automatic. Automatic if you really believe in it. If you, believe, if you don't believe in it, then, I don't know, play games, that's fine. But if you believe in it, you know, Jesus is saying it needs to be automatic. And if you want a good prayer life, you actually should be a believer. So, I don't know, wrestle with that. But I think that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here uh, in, in this teaching. You know, there's other things that come up in the teaching that you could inventory. Forgiveness is one of it. It's like, I don't know, are you actually making room in your life for seekers? Are you actually trying to spread the kingdom of God? All right, are you actually doing ministry? Are you producing fr fruit? Or is this the off-season? It's like, well, I'll get to that, you know, when the time is right, which is that sort of delay thinking. You know, the number one weapon of delay is, uh, excuse me, the number one weapon of chaos is delay. Satan ne never comes to you and says, oh, don't do that. Satan comes to you and says, do that later, right? Because it's really easy to get us to delay. That could be something uh, that actually compromises your faith. It lets the doubt come in. Well, I can't do it now. I'm not saying that I don't believe in doing it. I'm just saying I don't believe in doing it now. That could be one. There's all sorts of ways to go through this teaching and sort of inventory how you're doing in faith. But, but let it be made clear that, that faith is the point, that you actually have to believe in what you believe in. Just 100%. That's, that's the encouragement. I mean, do you, how, how are you doing on that? How are you doing? How, how are you on, are you a believer? Do you believe that you're a natural disaster waiting to happen? That's how I think of it. I could just stroll out and just move a mountain. Technically, that's a natural disaster. That would be an earthquake of epic proportions. I'm like, 
that causes me to walk through my day slightly differently. It's like, yeah, you know, I could, I could cause complete upheaval around here. You know, that's awesome, right? Who wouldn't want to feel that? Um, you know, that, be careful with me. You know, I could cause an earthquake. Uh, I could walk on water. You know, I could just get on my car, don't need a surfboard. I could just walk out to the brake, hang out there, make you all feel inferior. I'm not sure that's the right attitude, but... You know, do, 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 you, do you believe in that, right? That's not really believing in yourself. That's kind of just believing in the truth about how God works with people and what this is all for. And that's a very challenging thing to believe in. You know, it's hard to snap your fingers and just believe that you're a natural disaster waiting to happen. But you can cultivate it, you know, day after day. And that's really what the battle is. The first battle of any battle in your life is the battle for faith. It's the battle for attitude, you know, for faith attitude. And this is, there's some attitude in this teaching, uh, definitely. You probably don't want to go cause an earthquake, but, you know, but you should have that sort of earthquake attitude. <clears throat> if you have something like that kind of belief, then the Jesus teaching is God can totally work with you. God can totally work with you, you know. He, he will totally entertain your requests, right? I mean, you're the kind of person that he can totally give to uh, freely. You're the sort of person that can reshape the world around you. Of course, he's going to honor that. Of course, he's going to work with you. That's, that's the idea that Jesus is trying to get uh, across. Um, all right, we understand the teaching? We got it? All right, now I want to give you a pro tip. You know what a pro tip is? It's, it's a phrase that has become popular lately. It's like a tip from a veteran. Uh, and in this case, I'm the veteran. Um, I would be careful when I say that because after all these years, I still don't think I'm really much of an expert on faith, right? That, that I move in faith at all, I think, is a good sign, you know, for me. Because if you know anything about my story, you know that I'm, you know, a natural depressive, like, formerly suicidal. Like, I, I, I really stink at faith, naturally, right? <clears throat> I'm not saying I'm really good at faith now, but the fact that I've walked this journey as well as I have means that I've had to learn a thing or two, right? I mean, I, I've really had to earn it honestly. I've had to really work at this stuff. So it's in that spirit, the spirit of the fellow traveler and the hard worker that I want to share a veteran tip with you about living the life of faith and particularly a faith when it comes to kind of approaching God and approaching miraculous breakthrough and really getting the help that you need or delivering the help that you want to be able to deliver. <clears throat> so I want to speak, you know, authoritatively but not like pridefully about faith because, yeah, you know, I don't deserve the pride. Uh, but I do have a weird tip to share, and it's going to sound weird. And I'm just going to say that up front, and I don't mean to throw anybody off. I don't want anybody to get hung up on this tip or anything like that, because I know it's going to sound a little, a little weird. But I think there's something powerful in it. So just take it under advisement. If you don't like it, throw it in the waste bus bucket on the way out. I assure you I love God with my whole heart. I've staked my whole life on Him. I would never do anything to try to dishonor him or his teachings and faith or anything like that, even though it might sound like it sometime. Here, here we go. I think the word probably is a very powerful word. And I would like to suggest it to you as a pillar in your life of faith, the word probably. Now that sounds weird, right? Uh, because I've just talked about having 100% faith and probably sounds like a little bit of a compromise, right? You know, it's like, well, probably is only like 90% faith. Uh, but that's, that's not what I want to say. I want to say probably as opposed to the word certainly. Because faith is not about certainty. Faith is about faith. And those of us who travel the life of faith also need to cultivate humility, right? Because if you ask God for bread, he might give you pizza. 
If you were really, really certain that you were going to get bread, it might break you when the Domino's man shows up. Right? So a little, a little humility helps. Right? This is the sort of thing that I'm saying. All right. There are believers who insist that what they want, they will get. That what they pray for, they will get. I have prayed for this. It's done. I believe in it. I'm going to post it on Facebook. It's happening. Right? And, and that's faith that, to me, smacks of, of certainty. You know, that's like faith in the outcome of prayer as opposed to faith in, in God. You know, you do have to let God be God. And we just spent two weeks talking about that, right? I mean, God is going to say yes to you in some fashion, but he might have a better idea of yes than you do, right? Or he might say yes, but it's going to take a little while to deliver the goods. Why don't you handle other things in the meantime and just keep, you know, trusting that, that God is good? So, you know, you can't pretend that you know everything. And that, that's what I object to, right? That's the certainty aspect. But you do need to believe fully nonetheless. And so I think this word probably is super helpful, right? The believers who insist that they're going to get exactly what they prayed for, they try really hard to believe in a way that is akin to certainty. And, and I would not recommend that. Uh, I will recommend probably. Will that person get healed when you pray for him? Of course, yes, absolutely, it's already done. Uh, will you get that job that you're praying for? I know I will. In fact, I've already charged a bunch of stuff on my credit card in preparation. <laughs> will I win this contest? I've already cleared space on my trophy shelf. I have no doubt. You know, that's, that's one way uh, to, do, to do it. Another way to do it is, uh, Jordan, do you think that person's going to get healed? Yeah, probably. I mean, I expect so. Let, let's go for it. Well, I mean, there's something interesting there. There's sort of a beautiful confidence plus, I think, a godly vulnerability in that. I mean, I, I, I expect good things to happen, right? So I don't hesitate. You know, I, I, I jump in. Will you get that job? Well, probably. And if you don't get that job, uh, it's going to be really fun to see how God provides for you, right? But, but, I'm, but I'm sure he will, right? It's just, let's just, you have every right to expect a breakthrough in your employment, right? You get it? But it's a very, very strong, very peaceful sort of, of probably. Will I win this contest? Eh, probably. I'm certainly going to run the race as though to win. I have 100%, you know, commitment to confidence, even though I don't pretend to know the future with 100% accuracy. Probably. And I found the word probably to be a tremendous ministry asset uh, around the world. You know, wherever you go, desperate people, you know, come up to you. Well, if you're, if you're a preacher, <laughs> desperate people come up to you and say, you know, I really need help with this healing situation. I really need help with this financial situation. I really need help with this confidence situation. You know, I really want to win. I really want to succeed. I really want to break through. Oh, all right. Well, I think you're probably going to succeed. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I, I say, I'm saying something with that that I think is really important. And I think it's far better than saying something like, well, if it be the Lord's will, you'll get your breakthrough. I think that's bunk. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're going to get your breakthrough. Uh, we'll see how the Lord wills it works out, you know, I mean, because he can be more creative than you. But you get, you get the difference, right? The one is faith plus humility. You can have faith with no humility. You can have faith with humility. Or you can have humility and no faith. You know, if it be thy will. That's very humble. I'm not sure it's filled with expectation. <laughs> it sounds like it might be filled with fear, actually, but... You know what I mean? So that, that's like the 301 level class on, on how this works from a guy who's been walking uh, the faith life for decades. Is, it, is that like, probably, is that, is that heresy or is that wisdom? Let's just vote on me. 
How many of you say, you're a good, you're a good teacher? How many of you say, oh, you whiffed on this one, Jordan? It's fair. How many, how many of you are unwilling to commit uh, because uh, you have problems with belief? <clears throat> when Je Jesus says, believe that you have what you ask for, you know, what's going on there? And I, I, you know, there needs to be room for humility, but there needs to be an incredibly strong expectation that you're going to get what you ask for or, or, or better, you know? It's like, I'm going to get bread or pizza. I'm good, you know? But I fully expect the prayer to produce results. And I think that's what Jesus is asking for, you know? Uh, so I use, I use the word probably. Will I get this breakthrough? Yeah, probably, probably. I'm totally committed to probably. <laughs> there you go. Make sense? Um, I would say that probably sort of defines my faith. And there's you know, the gray areas there that I'm still trying uh, to master. And if I'm wrong about what I strongly suspect will happen, well, you know, hey, I've left room for God uh, to be God. And being wrong is far less than being afraid. Right? Far less bad uh, than being afraid. I might not be 100% certain about anything, but I'm going to believe 100% in all the important things. I'm going to expect 100% in all the important things. Um, how's your belief? How's your belief? Are you a believer? Or are you a... Uh, a faith tourist? Are you a faith pro? Um, how are you doing there? You know, it's, it's always a mixed bag to judge yourself um, because you can condemn yourself. And uh, what we're trying to encourage here is just self-evaluation, not self-condemnation. Uh, if you're a self-condemner, why don't you believe in forgiveness instead? Uh, Jesus says that that's really important. You know, and if you're a self-condemner, here's a thought. Uh, forgive that person that you need to forgive. Because if you're a self-condemner, I can almost guarantee you that there's someone else you're condemning. That's how this stuff gets a root in your life. Right? If you have a problem with shame, you probably judge someone shamefully. Um, so you can be serious about that. Don't be a self-condemner. But, you know, evaluate. How, how are you doing uh, in faith? And that will determine in large measure... Uh, I think, the fruitfulness of your prayer life, just to be simple about it. If you're a good believer, uh, then your prayer life will produce some pretty amazing results. That comes from Jesus, uh, so I'm fairly confident that, that it's a good teaching. What if you're not a good believer and you still need something from God? Uh, then what do you do? One of my favorite prayers of Scripture comes from the guy in uh, Mark chapter um, nine, who brings his sick little boy to Jesus. You remember this story, right? And the little kid has some sort of neurological disorder caused, in this case, by a demonic possession. A demon has gotten involved in his body. And, and, and Jesus says, everything is possible to him who believes, dad. And so the dad, convicted that maybe he's not believing well enough, says to Jesus, oh, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. And I think that's a great prayer. In fact, I think it's a primary prayer. That if you want to get what you want from God, maybe one of your first prayers should be, improve my belief, God. Improve my belief. Now, how is God going to respond to that prayer? He's going to respond positively and actively, perhaps even comfortably, but I'm not going to guarantee that. Right? He might stretch your belief a little bit. He might give you some encouraging breakthroughs. He might give you some developmental stretches. But that's a prayer that he's always interested in healing. And those of you who know the story that I shared from Mark chapter 9 know how it, how it ended up. The, dad's uh, the boy's father said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus turned and healed the boy. But sometimes you don't need perfect belief. But you always struggle toward that. Humbly, right? Hum humility and, and, and faith together. Uh, so how are you doing on your belief? Do you need help? Are you just a mountain mover? 
are you? Like moving mountains one shovel full at a time? How are you doing? Let's just think about that a minute as we close. I'll let the Holy Spirit come and speak to us. Father God, I pray uh, that... uh, you would teach us um, about faith. That you would purify us from unbelief and doubt. We pray that we would be uncompromised uh, in our belief, that we would believe in what we've decided to believe in, and that we would lay aside that which we've decided to lay aside. We pray that we would be um, integrated people. Uh, None of us are perfect, Lord, but we pray that uh, this week, this month, we would all experience the power of faith. There are areas in your life, I think, where the Lord is calling you to, to exercise it, to experiment with it, if you like that word better just to go for something in faith and and to learn as you go, right? There's no other way to do it. The only way to develop faith to do miracles is to try to do miracles. The only way to learn faith in your finances is to, you know, have an interesting financial story. The only way to learn faith in forgiveness is to Actually lay it down. Do the forgiveness. See how it turns out. See what happens. See what the fruit is. Experiment. And the Lord will meet you there. Let him speak to you about some of those things now.